Good morning, VCF. Today is the first day of Advent, as Scott reminded us, the 29th. There will be four Sundays, and each Sunday we will light a candle. Each candle uh, it represents a certain aspect of Advent. The Advent really has to do with the expecting and the waiting on, upon someone who's coming. And, uh, you know, in these days, um, commerce and shops and, uh, and cyber deals are very early in terms of wanting to get straight off the block to get your money. Uh, Advent is the opposite, opposite in the sense that Advent has to do with waiting and preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus. We are waiting and coming for no less than God. No less than God. How do you wait for a God to come? Advent speaks about the fact that um, we have to quiet our hearts, quiet ourselves down instead of being more noisy, uh, but being actually more quiet until we can find that in our hearts there's enough silence to be able to recognize the humble coming of God. Yeah? The humble coming of God who comes in a way that is not, uh, not expected, not in the ways that are expected. And so today we will actually be looking at uh, hope because the first candle is, is the candle of hope or sometimes called the candle of prophecy. And uh, I'd like to just uh, read a passage of scripture which is very familiar, familiar to all of us. And it's from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on this the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is something that's an expectation. And actually, this passage tells us about the way in which we expect how this, this God, this mighty God, will come as a little child who actually grows in us, who actually grows and increase. And there is increase in his government as well. You know, for many, many, for, for many, many thousands of years, there, was, there has been hopes not only in Israel, but even in the pagan world, um, the pagan world has myths that keep on looking forward in a certain yearning for this one who's been, who is to come. Uh, there's, even in the, in the Greek myth, I mean, those of you have, uh, who have read Homer, you understand that um, there was this ex- hope and, uh, and as, as a longing for something that will be better than what they have. Their own conception was, uh, is, was best um, understood by, you know, the, the, the myth of uh, uh, Clytemestra and, and Agamemnon. Agamemnon wanted to go to Troy, right, to actually attack Troy. 
and uh, Agamemnon um, was prevented from doing so by the goddess Artemis, who wanted to punish him for the evil and the carnage that he was going to do ahead of him. And so the only way in which he could actually get going with the ships was to sacrifice his beloved daughter, Ephigenia. And many, those of you who have read um, Homer, you, you realize that, that the beginning of that expedition was a sacrifice, a terrible and tragic sacrifice, which uh, in the end became a tragedy for Agamemnon and Clymestra because by killing his daughter in sacrifice for this great expedition, Clytemestra, his wife, the, the mother of this daughter, later took revenge upon Agamemnon. And when Agamemnon had come back with all his victory, this victory was completely destroyed because he was murdered by his wife. You see the, the tragedy of, of the human condition that look forward to something better. Um, I want to put it to you that um, even in Israel, there was also this sense that you have to pay a price for anything good. You have to pay a, a serious price for any victory. So every victory is a sort of a pyrrhic victory, too costly because of the fact that there's this guilt that hangs over the sword, the sword that hangs over us because of our own guilt. Um, Jephthah was uh, one of the judges in Israel. Do you remember that? Uh, and Jephthah uh, was, was appointed to lead the children of Israel against the oppressors. And he had no confidence that God was actually going to um, give them victory by his love and by his grace. And so what he did was that he made a promise. He cut a deal with God. You see, this whole aspect of the, of, of the sense that we're just never good enough, never good enough. And he makes a deal with God and tells God that the first thing that comes out of his, his house, he will sacrifice to him. And as many of us know, the first, after he had won the victory, um, his daughter was the first one that came out of his house and he sacrificed her and killed her. It's very tragic, very tragic. And it all looked, looked forward in the midst of human beings. There's never, never happy. Always looking forward to something better, but not being able to come up with anything better until Isaiah comes up and he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder that God will actually give for all our guilt, for all our sense of inadequacy, for all our sense of not deserving or not having a right to good, someone who's given, given so precious, so pure, so beyond our own pay grade, to be able to be a son that is given, a child that is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so I, I want to put it to you that, that, that Jesus has been given to us freely. We didn't have to pay for it. And his blood was shed so much so that we can never need to, to prove ourselves or to cut a deal with God in order for us to experience his good. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that in you, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We welcome 
this child that has been born and given to us. So, so that upon his shoulders, the government of us can be thrown and thrown upon him. So we ask you, Lord, to govern us. Be the government over our lives. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today I'd like to share with you a word from um, Sapphire Samuel chapter 30. And it's not an easy word because of the fact that it's very easy to take the word that I'm about to share with you in the wrong way. And uh, I want to tell you whether you've taken it the right way or the wrong way by telling you a test. Okay? If at the end of the sermon you feel hopeful and you feel happy and challenged, you've taken it the right way. If you feel more tired, more exhausted, there may be something you've missed. And I will be praying for you. Um, you know, in, in these days, of these days of COVID-19, I wonder whether some of you may feel discouraged or exhausted or weary, tired. I believe that weariness is in the air for many of us. And um, I received a word a few weeks ago from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees and say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and, the and with the recompense of God and He will come and save you. And this, this, this verse that in Isaiah chapter 35 is a verse that speaks of being strengthened at the exact time when you don't feel strong. And the criticalness of that time in which we are supposed to be strengthened is the topic of my sermon today. At exactly that critical time, when everybody is weak, is the time when God says it is to be strong, the time to be strong right now. So let's pray. I'm going to ask God to just do a miracle in us right now. Lord, we welcome you. We recognize that what we need is not more words, not more instruction only, but we just need your strength. We need your strength to be more than just something that is in word, but, in, but to be something that will give us breakthroughs. And so we ask you even now that you, the God of all strength, will come amongst us, speak to us, and impart to us the strength way beyond the words we use to describe these things. We welcome you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just read to you um, this very, very uh, 
well-known passage uh, as we look at an incident in the life of David. So we'll read it from verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, uh, in the chapter before, David and had just been uh, fired from his job. He had gone with the Philistines, the, the Philistine king, Akish, uh, on one of his attacks. And somehow the other commanders of, the, of Akish's army uh, did not trust David. Even though David had been loyal, he had been faithful and had been true to these Philistines so that he had been uh, getting refuge under. And uh, David was like kind of a hired, hired gun for them. And, uh, but uh, they didn't trust him. And so he, had to exp- ex- he and his men, about 600 men of, of his, had to suffer the indignity of being fired all in one shot. And so you come to chapter 30, and you find that trouble seems to come in pairs, or it comes in series. And that's, that's part of the problem of this, right? That trouble comes in this way. Verse 1, When David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. And they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voice and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the wife or the widow of Nabal of Carmel. In verse 6, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. And so you, you see how trouble comes in, in like in, not only in pairs, but in series. He's not only lost his, his job, He's actually come back and he found that everything has been taken away from him. And his very men, the people that were with him, his comrades, had now was wanting to stone him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, understandably so. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Or um, I think in the King James Version, he encouraged himself in the Lord, the God. The word for strengthen or encouragement is hazak which has to do with an inner strength or inner strengthening and inner encouragement. And David said to Abiata, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiata brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. You notice how he, he strengthened himself first, then he inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Verse 9, so David sets out, the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. And David pursued, he and his 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted, too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They had completely been so discouraged and so heartbroken, they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't find the strength. And it's in this place that I wanted to, to actually talk about a certain thing that I've been, we've been talking about in our daily prayer, but which I feel is so important and it's so, uh, so overlooked that I, I believe the Lord has something for us today. And that has to do with the fact that Dave, the time for David to be strong 
was the last time, the least you would have found that he was inclined to be strong. He had to be strong when everyone else was weak. He had to be strong when everyone else was falling apart. The time to be strong is not when everybody is strong. The time to be strong is when everybody is falling, falling apart and, and, and you are inclined to fall apart as well. That's really an important, an important thing. I want to talk about timing for strength. The timing for strength. Have you noticed how few people have a life that's characterized by miracles and victories? I want to put it to you that actually, and the thesis of this, this message, that the reason why so few people experience, I mean, notable miracles, like serious miracles, you know, miracles that are out of this world is because the timing for them getting strength is counter or, or opposite to the times when other people get strength. These people get strength when everyone else is weak. And that's why they will always be a minority because of the fact that the nature of the case for God to do great miracles is counter to when everybody wants expects to be, to, to, to be strong. I uh, remember a time in which I was uh, involved in pioneering my, my first church. I believe it's pioneering my second church. Um, and uh, as, uh, my first church, a full-time, full-time worker. And I remember that when uh, the, my church sent me out, they sent me out with great joy and with great inspiration and um, I remember uh, as I was sent out, there were lots and lots of prophecies, prophecies and great inspiration. There was a group of people just gathered around. I mean, I, I was sent alone. And, uh, but at that time, everyone seemed to be strong. When, we went, when, I, when I ended up in that, uh, in that state, where, that town where I was going to involve, be involved in church planting, the initial group of people who actually gathered were also very inspired, very inspired that we were going to start a new church in that place and I was going to be the pastor. Of course, in those days, we didn't have like a, all, a lot of money and all that. We just had enough for the first month's rent and the deposit. And then after that, we were on our own. We had to live by faith. We didn't have a salary and all that. But at that time, that initial time, everybody was excited. Everybody was feeling strong. And everyone had prophetic words, right? I want to say this. that prophetic words. Prophetic words about how God is going to bring revival to that town and all that kind of stuff. And I remember that first few days when we were, when we were in this place, we all felt so inspired, so challenged and so inspired by the obvious presence of God. The presence of God was thick in that, in this, this new little church, in which, you know, there was a small group of people, but we very excited. And I remember the day in which all my partners in ministry went back home, yeah, went back to their own different towns, and I was left alone. And I remember that during that period, I had never felt so alone, never felt so alone, never felt so oppressed. Every day I felt like this, there was a heaviness upon my head that I just could not shake off. And <laughs> the funny thing is that all that inspiration, all that prophetic stuff seemed to evaporate. And I remember night after night, night after night, I would be filled with desolation and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. 
And then I began to find that people were leaving also. That, that small group of, of, of people that were the pioneers of the church, with all those prophetic words, had found that they were no longer feeling it. <laughs> and I was left alone by myself, together with one, one or two other people. And I remember night after night, I, I, a feeling of fear, and I knew it was not me by myself. It was a certain spirit that was around. Every night I would have dreams in which, in various variations, I will be, there will be this monster or this demon or, then, and, or this um, uh, bad person who would come and press on me press on me. And during that time, I would not be able to speak. I would not be able to move. I was completely jammed. And I, and I would feel the fear as that would happen every night for many nights. It was so consistent. Every time I went, 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 went to bed at night, I would feel, okay, here we go. Here we go. But what, what would happen was that the Lord would teach me during these times and during these nights, I would pray, and when then, then the oppression would come. I would feel like sometimes this, like a dark angel would come and press upon me. And as I press up, it would press upon me, I'd call in my, in my heart, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And I would have to call out a few times. And after that, it would disappear. Night after night, that would happen. Night after night, that would happen. There was no support. I had never heard of from my, my, my partners back, back home, from back home anymore. I was just totally alone. And I felt that at, during those days that as I began to pray and as I began to rebuke the, the devil in my dreams, in my nightmares, I began to realize what was happening. What was happening was this. As I was left alone by myself and as I was left alone with no hope, no sense of I couldn't even hear from God because of the fact that the atmosphere was so muddled and so dark and so heavy. During those days, I had come to an end of my strength. And all I could do was to pray. And every, as, as I began to pray more and more, I began to realize as I was praying in the Spirit that actually the prayer was manifesting the presence of the devil. It's almost as if, if there's an invisible hand and you pour sand upon that invisible hand, suddenly the sand, sand shows up that invisible hand. It's almost as if in my dreams, in my dreams, the power and the presence of demonic spirits was being shown. By that time, we only had maybe two people in the church and all that. But as that continued, more and more, I began to find that from a base of absolutely no strength, strength began to rise beginning to rise. And it was at that time that we began to see miracles take place. And more and more miracles took place. People came to the Lord and a breakthrough actually took place. And I realized it was during that time when I was completely strengthless that the enemy began to manifest himself. I want to tell you this. It is not when everybody is happy that the devil manifests himself. That's the time when he hides. He hides when everybody is inspired. He hides when everybody's happy. He doesn't show himself up. He only shows himself up when that is, is past. And I began to realize that in the scriptures it's always the case. Big miracles take place when 
all the optimism and all the hoo-ha and the, and the up, up and away has, has passed. And when that has passed, it's you alone with the devil and that's when he shows up. Now, I'm not saying this. Now, now you've got to make sure. I'm very, very careful that you don't take this wrong. I'm not trying to frighten you or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell you that there are times in which you are going to be feeling like you're alone. And it's when that happens that it's game time. Not when everybody's happy and there's inspiring stuff going on and all that. It is game time when the hand, the invisible hand, comes out of the corner and sand is poured over it. And then you see it. And I began to realize that it was always during such times that the Lord would say, gird up. Especially when I felt very, very exhausted and very, very um, um, uninclined to actually do anything. You find, you find this all the, all the time. You find this in David. You find this with Eliezer. One of, what made Eliezer one of the mighty men of God was one of the three mighty men of God was that he was with David in the, in the barley field. I think it's, it's one of the wheat field or barley fields. And, uh, and enemies had come to rout the nation of Israel, the armies of Israel, and everybody left. Everybody fled. It was especially at that time, it was for him to get strong. And you find that when he was strong, he clung to his sword until at the end of the day, when he and David had destroyed all the enemies and, and defended the, their, their plot, they had to kind of pry his hand out of the sword because of the fact that he had become so one with the sword, which speaks of, of course, the word of God. The way in which God makes us one is when everybody has fled, when, when, when you're, most, you're least inclined to do that. So let's have a look at this. Um, this is this is a, this is a, this is a, a, a parallel parallel everywhere, you know. In all the all the feeding of the five thousand, the feeding of the four thousand, feeding of the seven thousand. Look, chapter nine. You look look look, look at. It. it is especially when we are most inclined not to um, be strengthened in God that actually God does a work. Mighty miracles take place. You know, in Luke chapter 9, the disciples were just not inclined to do this. They actually sent them away it's, it, because it's dark and it's a very desolate place. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. You feed them. And so I want to put it to you that there are certain critical times. These critical times are especially the times in which you do not feel strong. And my word to you today, I believe, is be strong now. Be strong now. Now is the time to be strong. Even though it doesn't seem like you have any strength. And so let's have a look at it, how, how it worked out here. And uh, so David, he's had a blow. He's been fired. Secondly, he has uh, found out that his, both his wives, oh, imagine that. Both his wives have been, have been, uh, have been that, taken captive. And all his men are now uh, uh, wanting to stone him. And, uh, and in verse 4, it says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Can you imagine that the depths of their, of their discouragement and their 
brokenheartedness. They sweat until they had no more strength to weep. And David's wives had been taken and he was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him in verse 6. For the bitter people were bitter in soul. Almost tragic. Almost tragic. But I'd like to, to, to focus on this, this, this phrase. Until they had no more strength. I believe sometimes God brings us to such places so that we can distinguish the strength of God from our own human strength. This, this critical moment is something that I'd like us to keep an eye on. Okay, This critical moment where the timing is very important. The critical moment is when there is no more strength. If there is strength, that is not the critical moment. The critical moment is when there is no more strength, even to weep. Okay? Because it is at this point where you will not mistake God's strength for your strength or your strength for God's strength. And this is how sometimes we begin to enter into a deeper place in God and enter into that place where miracles begin to start happen, happening because of the fact that you have a very fine-tuned distinguishing um, faculty to be able to distinguish between your own strength, my own strength, and the strength of God. It is when there is no strength. When there is no strength, any strength that comes, you know it's God. When you are zero, then the one appears. When you, when, when you have nothing, then one with a, with a capital O, he appears. And it's in this place that God brings David to absolutely no base of strength except God. And it says here that uh, David was greatly stressed, for people spoke of stoning him, and, uh, and he began to encourage himself in the Lord. I just want to focus today especially on how we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. How we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. But before we go into that, I want to see that there are three critical responses to tragedy or loss or exhaustion or weariness. The first one is um, the fact that um, the, his men got very bitter and they wanted to stone him. The first thing is that anger and bitterness can be our response to disappointment, to the depletion of energy and, and, uh, and power, the loss of uh, things that are precious to us. And the first reaction was for those to be bit and bitten. And fortunately, they they decided not to stone him. Just imagine what would happen if they stoned him. Can't imagine. Uh, but they decided not to. But there are people who have allowed bitterness and stoniness to become the defining characteristic of their lives because something happened to them and because of that, they became stony. They became bitter and bitter. And anger has been the defining uh, uh, mark, milestone of their lives. They've done something or they said something or they have acted in a certain way that has imprisoned them for the rest of their life. They spoke of stoning him. If you are a person who has been stuck somewhere, 
and you've not experienced the, the strength of God, but you have been kind of hardened in a certain cynicism, a certain bitterness, a certain sense that things are not fair always, that you're always being the victim, and you have not been able to get past that, I want to put it to you that today, there can be a change. The second group of people responded in a very different way, but it was a way in which it also defined them. And uh, there was, and you, you find a few verses later, um, Jesus, uh, uh, David went with, with 600 men to go and pursue. But 200 of them did not gain strength. They were they remained in the strength that was theirs as a result of the tragedy, that, the near tragedy that happened. And these are people who did not strengthen themselves in the Lord. They were exhausted. And so because of that, David had to leave one-third of his men at the, at the brook Besor because they just could not overcome that. And I guess to many of us, that becomes a, a really critical time in our life in which strength doesn't come. We wish we could be stronger. We, we try to go out with David and try to set out with David, but somehow the strength of God has not happened there. And these are people who tend to be people whose lives are characterized by a certain amount of impotence a certain amount of impotence because you're always coming to places in which something happens to limit your strength, to deplete your strength. And exhaustion and weariness has never been something that brought you into new strength. It always limited you. The narrative on your life is this. Whenever you have got burnt out or whenever you got exhausted or, you got, or whenever you got weary, Things just stop there. And you have come to the place where you have limited the amount of things that God can do through you because you know your limits. Now, we all have these limits. And I want to put it to you that there are some people whose limits are even more limited than yours. But they have somehow been catapulted to a new level of strength that causes them to do great miracles because of the fact that they were able to strengthen themselves in the Lord. These people who, who, uh, who remained at Besor were not necessarily weak people. They could have been the stronger ones in David's army, but the difference is that they were not strengthened by the Lord. And so there's, there, there's, there may be strong people whose view of life, their, 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 their perspective of life, is one in which they can see these limits there. They can see that there's, there's a limit to the amount that they can do and they can expect from God. And because of that, they've, turned, they, 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 they've, they've crafted their life around those limits or within those limits. And because of that, their, their narrative is 
always going to be something in which God does help. He comes a little bit and we do expect, expect, expect little, little things from God. But it doesn't go for much further than that. We have to be very sober and we have to be very, very uh, 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 careful that we don't get burnt out and all that. And I agree with, with a lot of that actually because burnout happens for all of us. Okay? Even the best of us. But there's a way in which these people who, who remain at the, at, at the Brook Peace or the 200 began to, to, to act in a way that perhaps was a life-defining way. A life-defining way. I will never be able to do this. I will never be able to see God work miracles in my life. I will never be able to hear from God beyond a certain amount of kind of generalities. I will never be able to experience uh, God working miracles through my life and I pray for people. I will never be able to, to, to achieve much in life because of the fact that I know my limits. And so these are the people who are exhausted and who remained exhausted. And then there's David. And David, we are told, um, encouraged himself in the Lord. It's just a very small phrase, right? But David encouraged himself in the Lord. In the time when he felt the least inclined, least inclined to get strong and go for it and all that, the, the, the time when he had the least vim in his life, he encourage himself in the Lord and strengthen him in the Lord. I want to say this, talk about this because there's a way in which we in the new covenant because of what Christ has done for us experience this differently from David, differently from the 200 at Esau, differently from the people who got, ang- who got mad and who, who got bitter. We have the life of Christ. Um, Paul's piece says that we are strengthened with strength in the inner man through the Spirit. Wow! Do you know what this means? That because of, of the coming of the Spirit, because of the fact that we died with Christ, we saw that, because of the blood of the, of, of the Lamb that has made us no longer see ourselves or see God through our own selves, but through, through the blood, we died. And the Holy Spirit came to us and was given to us without measure, right? The Holy Spirit isn't given like a quarter measure or a teaspoon or other. He's given us without measure. And because of that, we can talk about being strengthened by the Lord in a very, very different way than the Old Testament people. I'm not here to tell you, now you've got to be strong. Or I'm not here to tell you that, that you know, only when, when you feel least strength that you should be strong. That's not enough. That's not the new covenant. That's an insight. But it's not the new covenant. It's an insight to know that God's strength must happen exactly at the moment when we feel least strong. But who's going to give you the strength? Who's going to give you? Only the new covenant, because of what Christ has done, can actually make it. Because by His Spirit, all the strength of Christ has been given to us. So much so that when we say strengthen ourselves with the Lord, we are talking about the strength that God has given to us in our spirit. It may not be in our flesh, it may not be in our soul, it may not be in our mind or emotions or in our body, but it's in our spirit. And there's a way in which when Christ has come into us and has become our strength, that life of the Spirit can permeate the rest of our body, our whole soul, our whole life as well. And so I want to talk a little bit about this, about being strengthened in the new covenant. Not just being strong because you should be strong or because you should not be weak or you should be strong at the right time and everything that I said. All that I said before this time is true. But without the new covenant, it's not applicable. Only the, only kind of strong people can do that to some, to a very limited extent. 
He says we are strengthened with all might by His Spirit in the inner man. Paul says that. And uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if I see here the same thing that He has given to us, all the might and power of God. But it's in our spirit. It's, in our, it's locked in our spirit. What God wants to do is to not have it locked in our spirit, but from our spirit it permeates our how do we strengthen ourselves, really? How do we strengthen ourselves? Because you see, it was important for, for, for David to be able to strengthen himself so that he'd be in a different place before he inquired of the Lord. How many of you found that you've, you've been in a situation where you have had a very difficult time, you have great anxiety, great fear, and then you try to seek the Lord, but you get no words, and God doesn't seem to be speaking? You know why? It could be because you're seeking the Lord before you strengthen yourself in the Lord. To be strengthened in the Lord is to invite not the energy of the Lord to come, but the Lord Himself. The Lord Himself. The strength of the Lord is not separated from God. So when God says that He will strengthen us, we're not talking about a commodity of God. We cannot commodify the strength of God. When you're asking God to strengthen you, you're saying, God, the God who is strong, I want you to take over. I want you to rule, rule in my life. We're not talking about energies. We're not talking about spiritual energy, even though there is spiritual energy. But it is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for the new covenant. The, covenant, the new covenant was not one in which God looks at you and me and says, Oh, you need strength here? Okay, pray. And then when I feel you prayed enough, I'll give you, I'll lob some strength over to you. No. The New Covenant speaks of the fact that His strength has been given already. And from there, we can pray it through. And it's in this place that I feel that um, some keys may be helpful for us to talk about how we receive the strength of God. The first thing about receiving the strength of God is that it's not just we just kind of stir ourselves up and shout longer, shout louder, and sort of say all the rah-rah songs and sort of kind of do this, I can do this kind of stuff. Um, I, here's where I don't believe that um, the, the, the American can-do-ness is the same thing. And that's why we have to be brought to an end, right? Until we have no strength, none of that. None of that rah-rah stuff. Okay, none of that kind of inspiring, you know, TED Talk kind of stuff. None of that kind of uh, uh, self-help inspiring stuff. That all has to come to it, be drained to, 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 to the end. It has to be at the point where we invite Him in our weakness, when we are flat on our back, to be God in us. Now, when we invite God to come, we invite Him to invade us, and to search us, and to find all the things that are of not strength in us. Not that we just sort of inspire ourselves with all the positive scriptures of God. All those are good. But when you invite the strength of God, you're inviting God, who will search for places of weakness. He will convict you and me of our sin, or places in which there have been leaks, have you ever thought about the fact that as you are inviting God to strengthen you, He will look out, first of all, for leaks in the strength of God, in leaks in your soul. Perhaps there are leaks 
that come from a certain pattern of thinking, perhaps, that just makes you just want to go to the bottom line immediately, or to defend yourself, or to use own strength, you know, or, or manipulate things. Perhaps there are habits that God is bringing to you. And so, may I suggest to you that as we, we ask God for His strength and strengthen us, the first thing we do is that we open ourselves to God for Him to speak to us. And by doing so, what we do is that we wait out and we empty out all our own agendas. You can't ask God for strength and keep your agenda so that God becomes a, a, a help for your own agenda. You have to let it go. If you invite God, you have to know that you're not inviting an energy, you're not on, uh, inviting a commodity, you're inviting God himself. And when he is God, he will not mix his strength with your strength. It doesn't work that way. It has to be God's way or the highway. Yeah? Which is the highway. <laughs> okay. And so one of the things that actually happens is that um, as, as, as we call upon God, we allow ourselves to relax. Not go out and start doing strong things. Just be able to be relaxed in Him. And that's where your exhaustion will tend to make you rest in God. It's good. Rest. Because you don't have to go rah-rah now. You don't have to go out and, and go for it now. You want to be strengthened by the Lord. And as you allow Him to come, there's going to be a way in which God will bring all the other sources of strength, all the other voices, all the fears, all the anxieties to stillness. Isaiah chapter 40 says, those who wait upon the, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. To wait means to be at the timing and behest of not yourself, but on that person that you're waiting for. Now, that is a radical thing because by waiting, you cannot make him go faster. When you're waiting for someone to come, you cannot speed up his arrival or her right, arrival. Waiting is a very, it's a very funny thing. See, waiting is always at the behest of someone outside yourself. If I'm waiting for my wife um, to come home, I have no control over her. I can try to, 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 to contact her, but her phone doesn't work. Because if you're, and, and those of you who have tried to phone her, her phone is completely broken. The iPhone 7 or whatever it is, it's, uh, it's completely dis- hopeless. Hopeless. So I've had many, many times in which I'm waiting for her to come home, and I have absolutely no way of contacting her. And, 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 and after I've kind of harumphed and, and, and got frustrated and, 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 and stand my foot and said, surely there's something that can be done. And I, come to, I have to come to the realization that there's absolutely nothing. She's in the car, her bone doesn't work, and I have to, I'm not in control of any of the speed in which she's going to come back. Come back. To wait for God is to, uh, to leave it to God's sovereignty for when He will actually appear. The waiting, though, is unconditional. Okay? And the wait, waiting is unconditional as well. So it's out of your control. It's also unconditional because it's, it, waiting means I don't decide that I'm going to wait for 10 minutes. I'm not going to decide I'm going to wait for one hour. I'm not going to decide that I'm going to wait for one day. I'm going to wait for as long as it is at your behest. As long as you take. Waiting means I'm committed to being in, this, in, the, in, in where I am, in this mode, until you come. 
It's, a, it's one of the most helpless things you can be in. Waiting is a commitment to being there when, you, when, when the person comes. And that's why I, 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 I think prayer is a very powerful thing. I don't mean prayer in which you come for, you know, you, you, you get involved in prayer for about as long as you can. Prayer is, is, is a waiting on God. And the operative word is, you wait until He comes. Now, that doesn't mean you spend the whole day waiting. It just means this, that if you have one hour to spend in your devotions, you spend one hour, and then if you've not found anything happening, you're still in waiting mode while you're doing your work, you're going, doing the dishes, you're doing the gardening, you're taking care of the children, you're feeding, you're working, you're, 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 you're leading, you're doing whatever, you're serving and all that. But you're still in that mode. Whenever you have time, you come back to it. Prayer has to be that way. Prayer is not prayer, for, especially prayer for revival. It's not prayer in which, okay, we'll try praying for this number of times, and, and when it's over, then, then when it doesn't happen, then that's, that's it. Waiting is it's not defined that way. To wait upon the Lord in such a way that it renews our strength or changes our strength, that we mount up the things as eagles, there's a certain unconditionality about it. There's a certain locked-inness about it. There's something about it in which we continue in that, in a committed way, until he says so. Until something happens. That is an essential difference between those who are empowered by prayer and those whose prayer life is just an addition to their life. Not that much different. It makes them feel more peaceful, makes them feel more, at, at, more centered, makes them feel more, you know, kind of, I know who I am and I know who, who the world is and I know I have a certain amount of balance and all that. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about a prayer that causes miracles to happen, okay? that causes the, good, the, the great things to happen. And it is a certain way in which, in spite of the fact that we don't have that much time, we still continue to, to, to be in the best mode we can waiting upon God. So I may have a day in which I have no time to do my quiet, quiet time. That actually sometimes happens. I've I got to tell you that. All right, let's just let's be real here. That there are times in which you just woke up, you got a headache, you woke up late, and you immediately had to go to work. And you couldn't do your, 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 your quiet time. But what you can do is that you can be whispering with the Lord in mind as much as you can. You're mindful upon Him. You're attentive to Him. And then when the first chance to pray comes, you pray. Now, I want to, again, encourage you as much as possible to join us for daily prayer because I'm seeing that as we are doing this, it's those who, who stay in an unconditional way and be committed to something more than how much time they have. It's still bound by the, our, our necessary schedules, okay? so don't get me wrong, but it's, it's bounded by when he comes, when he says stop. And when that happens, strength comes. There's this unconditionality about the strength of God, of, of, of uh, engaging with him and waiting on him, that causes the strength to come. I'm always encouraged by Isaiah chapter 62. It says, uh, and for Zion's sake, I will, not, I will not hold my peace. 
And for Jerusalem, say, I will not rest until the righteousness goes forth like brightness. I love the, the word until because it tells me that I need to be committed to it. And at the same time, he is committed to bringing forth his righteousness like brightness. I wonder whether I can inspire you with a vision of that. A vision of righteousness going forth like brightness, like you've never experienced. I wonder whether I could inspire you with a power and presence of God that's nothing like what you've experienced. That will make what we, the best, our best experiences today, feel like peanuts compared with it. Because there is something called until. And that until is something that for the rest of my life I will wait for. I will wait for it. Because I haven't experienced fully all that there is yet. Right now, I'm least inclined to be strengthened. I'm now not in the mood to be strengthened. But this is now the time to be strengthened. Amen? Amen. Now, prayer in strengthening ourselves is like this. We are holding on to God. We are clinging on to God. We are in fiery fall. And when we are grabbing hold of Him, at a certain point, we realize that He is grabbing hold of us. Many people who begin to engage in prayer never get past the fact that they feel that they're grabbing hold of God. They are the one who's praying. They are the one who's praying. Their effort in grabbing hold of God is very important. And that is true. But there comes a point in which, I can't tell you when, but there comes a point when you're in free fall and you feel like you're grabbing hold of God. And suddenly you feel God is grabbing hold of you. And prayer is being prayed by God through you. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to bring you to it. But I know that if you wait upon him, he will bring you to it. And the difference between people who pray in a relaxed way, but very powerful way, and those who are striving and feeling that prayer is really an activity that they are doing, is infinite. It's all, all rest in this. And so I want to put it to you that it doesn't matter how you pray. I don't have a, a particular method, method of praying, although I, I like to pray in spirit. I like to pray in tongues more because I trust that more than my own words. <coughs> but I want to say that you just have to wait. You just have to be there <coughs> for it. <coughs> Prayer is not pushing our way, neither is it passively expecting for it to happen amidst the wandering mind. Prayer is not just pushing. Prayer is not just waiting, uh, waiting in, um, in a um, passive indifference in which the mind is wandering all over the place. Prayer has to do with gathering ourselves and focusing as much as we can our attention to Him, knowing that all that we're doing is not enough for Him to come, but you do your best. You just bring yourself there. It's turning up with yourself. And when you turn up, you don't just turn up half asleep or, or distracted. You turn up with all the attention that you can get and then wait on him until that happens. Amen? Okay, so let's have a look at this. And it's as he did this, as he strengthened himself in, in the Lord, his own strength, his own thoughts, his own depressed um, uh, state of mind, his, his, uh, his uh, distressed uh, heart began to be changed 
and God strengthened him. And then it says, David said to Abiathar, verse 7, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And then it was time for him to seek the Lord. And then he could hear very clearly from God, shall I go overtake them? Shall I overtake them? And then the answer came, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. And David set out. So he strengthened himself, he sought, the, he sought the Lord, then he set out. Yeah? Three things, strengthening, seeking, setting out. Yeah? And, uh, and so he sought out. And it was at this place he separated from the 200. He had to leave the 200 behind. And this is what distinguished him from the others. And so it's very because of that, with a spirit that is clear, he was able to respond in the right way. Very soon after that, they found an Egyptian dressed in a Malachite dress, which was the dress of the enemy. And this Egyptian, as far as they were concerned, it was an Amalekite, one of the enemy. One of the enemy that had raided them was flat on the ground and he was dying. And they come to him, and somehow, because of the work that God had been doing, they were not bitter. If it was one of those bitter people, they, he would have killed the, guy, the dead man, the man even more dead. But David actually gave him raisin cakes, gave him water, took care of him. And it says his spirit came back to him. The forgiveness that that required was out of this world. The preparation of heart to experience extraordinary things was out of this world. And it's, it, it says that they gave him water to drink. In verse 12, they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins, remembering that they had very little of their own food. Okay? And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Verse 13, and David said to him, to whom do you belong? And, uh, and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Karatites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. Do you remember him? And we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, not, what? You did that? I'm going to kill you right now. <laughs> Your spirit just revived, now I'm going to kill you back again. No. Will you take me down? to this band. And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this land. You know, when you've strengthened yourself in the Lord, you've allowed the Lord to be the one to be the, the maker of the agenda. You've allowed yourself to be brought to zero and stillness where all the temptations to sin, the temptations to, to fear have been drained out. Your spirit is clear. And when that spirit is clear, you can seek the Lord. You can get His direction. But more than that, you can recognize the tokens of good, the signs along the way that tell you God is at work. Now, if David had just gone out and gone and done it and had not had enough time to reflect and to wait upon God until God causes a change in his spirit and change in his strength, he would have seen the Egyptian and he would not have been able to recognize what God was doing. And he would have either dismissed him or at best 
gone past him without harming him, or he would have just not noticed this very insignificant person who was actually had no life left in him. But he had enough gumption of the Holy Spirit, enough sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That's why the condition of our heart is really important, to be able to say, ah, okay, good. Good. I'm going to help him. And to have largeness of heart enough to be able to help him. And he became the key. David, we won't have time to, to go over this. He um, found the Amalekites and uh, completely devastated them. And it's very interesting that the, 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 um, the text tells us Verse 17, David struck them down from mid-twilight until the evening of the next day and not a man of them escaped. How did they do that? They were exhausted. They were exhausted. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Now that's the remainder of the enemy that escaped. I've got to tell you, the remainder is 400. How many people went with David? 400. That means the remainder of those who were not devastated was equal number to David's men. Can you imagine how powerful those, those people were, those David's men were? Because they were strengthened by the Lord, perhaps. Perhaps they were strengthened by the Lord and allowed by God to be able to do it. Today, I want to put it to you that even though our first reaction to being strengthened by the Lord is not necessarily one of whoop-de-doos. You may be in a situation in which you are completely exhausted and weary. The last thing you want to do is to respond positively to God and be strengthened. It is often that God comes to us and, require, and, want, and with a miracle, a potential miracle. But most of the time, the opportunity is very disguised. It's very disguised. It's when you don't want to, you're not inclined to. And you feel that what God is requiring of you seems like such a big mountain to climb. But God doesn't say climb the mountain now. He says strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself. Strengthen your weary hands and confirm your feeble knees. Last last story. We were wanting to buy a van one day and my mind was very, very um, concerned about how much the van cost. We had bought, gone to Enterprise to buy one of those second-hand vans. And this took a long, long time. A long, long time. I was getting very, very weary. But Cindy seemed to be very, very energetic about the whole thing. It's always the case here. And uh, she's always getting me into things that require a lot of energy, which I don't have. And this was another one of them. And uh, I was waiting for her, getting really tired. Also knowing that we had a special meeting that we needed to go to. I think it was the next day or something. But I was really crunched for time. 
feeling a bit exhausted, emotionally exhausted. And uh, after waiting for them, for, for Kaylin and Cindy for a long time, um, hours, they came and says, oh, we met this person. Her name is Cynthia. And we invited her to come for our Easter program. And uh, not only that, I may have the details a little bit wrong, okay, but roughly, they're going to come, he, she, and her fiancé, now Christians. They're going to come for, the, for this thing. I thought, great, that's great. And then we are going to have dinner after the meeting. And I thought, oh, no. I'm usually very evangelistic, but at that moment, I just was not. I just was unhappy about the whole thing. I, I think I sulked it a little bit. A little bit. The day came, they came for the, for, for the thing. And he seemed to be a person who was full of himself. Full of self-confidence. One of those guys, former coach, uh, football coach in Texas or something. That, you know, that kind of person who just got a lot of strength for himself. They came anyway. And we went out for dinner. And I was rebuked by the Lord, actually. And the Lord says, you're not up for it. And the Lord says, do you know that miracles take place when you least want it to, want expect it? or want to be inclined to, to go along with it. We went out for dinner. I think we went out for dinner at about 8 o'clock, and we stayed till almost 12, because they were talking and talking and sharing, and they both accepted the Lord. They came to the Lord. And for the next few months, we became such deep friends with them. God dealt with him, and he had no idea that God had been leading them close to him, and they had been waiting for someone to share with them the gospel. Amazing things happened in their lives. They were one of the biggest encouragements we had during that period of time, which was not a, 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 an, an easy time, but they were such a great encouragement. They have moved to, I think it's Utah, Utah? I don't know where they are now. But they became such a great guy. And God brought this man to an end of himself, such a strong man, and then he had caught a disease that laid, made him have absolutely no strength, no strength at all. He, was, he, he would say, I used to lift, lift, I don't know how many pounds, but I can't even lift this pen up right now. He was so weakened, and it was during this time that God ministered to him, and he became so committed to God. And God brought him up from no strength left to a person who was strong in the Lord. I find that it's during those times when I feel least inclined that God actually says, strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Let us pray. covenant tells us that the sermon and the, the end of the sermon is not the end of the whole show. This is where we just begin mm-hmm. to eat the bread of life 
and taking to ourselves the new covenant in his blood where this strength is real. It's not just words of inspiration, but there is a moment for us to receive the strength of God. Real strength, which we have not received yet as long as the sermon was going on, maybe a little bit. But now is our chance to feed on it right now and by faith receive him. Yes, God, we agree. We lift off the cover right now that you have for us as individuals. The feast, Lord God, on your strength, even as, Lord, we thank you that your way is to cause us, as Moshe would say um, in Ushbazin, I am nothing. I am nothing. We thank you, God, that you bring us to that point to recognize that because you're so amazing and the strength you have right now for each one of us, Lord God, that dares to uncover, Lord, what we don't have, but dares to uncover what you do have right now. You want to let that flow in. Even as we've been leaking right now our strength, we thank you that the tide is turning and the strength is coming in. So, Lord, we confess that this is your way. And it's so precious that you just love us just like that. You just love us just in our weakness. And you accept what you have done to make us strong as the only way. Amen. Fill us right now, Lord. Yes, Lord. Fill us, we pray. Yes, Lord. Amen. We welcome you. There may be some of us who have experienced setbacks like you never had before. Discouragements, answers to prayer that are not forthcoming, disappointments. You don't need to just leave it at that. There's a way in which God wants to come in precisely at this, mil- at this moment. Precisely when you feel most discouraged. There are people who are here who it seems as if everything they built up has fallen flat. And you don't feel that you have the strength to start again or to pursue. And the Lord is saying pursue. But don't pursue now. Strengthen yourself. I have strength for you. We'll be going into a soaking time in which we will have an opportunity to receive God's strength. If you can stay for that, that would be wonderful because that's the time in which the real transactions actually take place. So Lord, we welcome you. We thank you that in this very moment that discouragement is not the final say word. Tragedy is not the final word. You have the final word. And so we want you in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you, Lord. Come in your strength, in your power. Come in your own gentle way. We bless your name, Lord, that you have strength awaiting us. You have a word awaiting us. And so we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
just sense that the Lord wants us to not be afraid of being weak, not to be afraid of that. That's the beginning of it. So if there's anyone right now who's just afraid, afraid of being weak in that place, that that was a dangerous place for you, with the Lord it's not a dangerous place. Amen. God bless you. We will be having soaking um, in a few moments, and uh, I want to invite you to stay as long as you can for that. Because in some ways, that's where it all happens. There's also prayer ministers, as um, Scott is about ready to tell us about. So please just chat to the congregation host um, if you'd like to be put in the fellowship room or in a prayer room. Amen.